Time travel, tribulations and team-ups. Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel. It's a podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in their entire life watches a Marvel movie or TV show and then quizzes another comedian. This one was taught to read with Marvel comics and is an expert. It's the yin and the yang of the Marvel experience. Welcome to our extra special Kang show as we dive into Earth's mightiest heroes, the Kang trilogy, right as Kang hits your screens in Quantum Mania. My name is Rob Holden, I'm a comedian, I'm a writer, and I'm also the Marvel expert part of the show, joined as ever by Mr. Will Preston, our very ignorant boy. Oh, I'm so ignorant, I don't even know why I'm here. Because <laughs> <laughs> we, we need the everyman, we need the muggle, we need Joe Sixpack. Um, the everyman. We are just going to smash through into pop culture with this one. Everyone is talking about Kang, who is just like he is about to hit uh, cinema screens up and down the world. Everybody's talking Kang. Everybody's talking Kang. Um, And we've got a jam-packed episode with tons and tons of, like, important Kang history, trivia, the stories, the ups, the downs, it is all here. And, Will, I am super excited about this one. Coming off the back of an incredible oh. um, Iron Man remastered episode, which people have been uh, beating our door down to tell us how much they loved that one. That was a great one to put out, wasn't it? Oh, mate. I, I, as I said, it was a labour of love. That it was, was deep. Uh, I, I, even when I was watching it again, getting the notes together, writing my thoughts down, getting all the getting all the Mister Hollywood's production facts out of that skip next to the Chinese theatre on Hollywood Boulevard that I hang around with sometimes, uh, it was so wonderful to just go through something like this and go, "There's so much good stuff here. I, I just don't know where to start." Every episode we bring you is a labour of love on Marvel vs. Marvel. Coming up in this show, we'll go behind the page on the creation of Kang, his unique and twisted beginnings. We'll explore his complicated origins and examine who in the Marvel Universe he is related to. That one is a big mystery secret. We'll explore just how powerful Kang is, the most terrifying things he's ever achieved. We'll look at the worst moment in the history of Iron Man and we'll explore the wild time-travelling past and future of the Marvel Universe. Strap in. This is your one-stop shop for Kang stuff. There was not another rhyme at the end of the ops in that one. Um, I can't wait to dive into all of this. Yeah, same. Um, And uh, and speaking of things we can't wait for, me and Will are bringing our live show Marvel vs. Marvel, the live podcast on the 25th of March this year, the Arena Theatre in Wolverhampton in the West Midlands, a show so good that we won the prestigious Leicester Comedy Festival Award last year for Best Live Podcast, when we're up against, you know, Mark Watson and Tim Key and proper... Proper TV stars in the comedy world, and, ABK. and we just smashed him. We were up against ABK, the- who we love, a friend of the, I mean, friend of friend of the show, but still smashed him. <laughs> uh, what can you do when you bring in the Marvel goodness? Um, there's, there's a link to tickets um, for the show in the notes of this episode. The URL is there. Um, also, the pinned tweet on our Twitter page at Marvel Versus is a link to get hold of tickets for the live show, the 25th 
of March in Wolverhampton. We are diving into another What If episode. We're exploring the Marvel multiverse. We're going to be um, having some fun with Captain Britain and Agent Carter. It is the only place that we're going to be diving with What Ifs and all these features and things. I'm really excited for it. I know Will is really excited for it as well. Oh, yes. We've already seen tickets fly out the door and people get in touch and say, I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. Um, and we're really pleased that we working with the United Theatre. Number one, we're keeping tickets really, really low. Just five Brexit pounds to come and see the show. Uh, we know you guys are going to be spending your money on travelling uh, down to see us, so we want to keep the actual ticket price as small as possible. And also, we're going to have loads of time for me and Will to uh, meet you guys, to hang out, to chat about Marvel, um, talk about whatever you want to do, have a drink. It's going to be really cool, really relaxed, plus our live show as well. Um, it's everything we could ever want from a live show, which we might not have been able to get last time. <laughs> uh, as there were just uh, I don't know what was going on there. Students running a student bar. Um, that's probably what happened. Uh, the 25th <laughs> of March, 2023, the Arena Theatre in Wolverhampton. You can get the URL for the tickets in the notes of this episode or head to our Twitter at Marvel Versus. The pinned tweet will get you in. Um, what are you most excited about, Will? Because we had a genuinely great time doing it last year. I, I know there were some nerves. There were nerves. There were nerves. About doing this in front of people for the first time. There's nerves and emotions, mate. But, I mean, you know, apart from seeing you again, it's always it's always lovely to see you in person, you know, hang out yeah. with you and everything. But it's just so good to be able to see the people who listen to this podcast and say, hey, how's it going? I hope you enjoyed that. You know, how, yeah, you know, absolutely. What, what, how, it really how, is. You know, it's just, just, just to know about the different kind of people that listen to the podcast, what they love as well outside of Marvel. It's, it's great. I love it. I love, <laughs> I love the interaction. And performing it live is just so much fun. It always feels like oh, a live performance yeah. whenever we do this show, because um, it's packed with energy. It's not something that's overly produced or edited, is it? You know, yeah, yeah. We yeah, have we- our. We have our little musical interludes, and we have a little breaks here and there. But it's kind of just that we we blast through it in in four hours. Whether there's people here or not, yeah, and so that's what we're going to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we go, uh, and uh, that's what we want to share with you guys. We're really excited about it, and we hope you see you on the 25th of March, the Arena Theatre, Wolverhampton. The setup for this show is that I am a Marvel expert who's been reading Marvel comics uh, since before there were hairs anywhere on my chest. Um, <laughs> Uh, taught to read with Marvel Comics. I've been grew up with these characters, and they're kind of in my blood, in my veins. Whereas Will Preston comes at it from the same perspective as everybody else, the regular people, the non-shut-ins. Um, people who, who discovered and experienced these characters through the video games, the TV shows, and of course through the incredible Marvel MCU, Disney movies as well. That's the yin and the yang. That's the dichotomy of Marvel versus Marvel. What we want to do now is uh, peel back the layers of our muggle's mind and get to the heart of how the regular person perceives some of these characters that they haven't grown up with. I mean, I genuinely do, did grow up with Kang being a you know an ever-present character in the stuff I was I was reading, um, and you didn't, Will. So you would have, I, I, I imagine. I mean, was there any Kang interaction before? Mm, well, mm. I guess before before Loki. No, I, I can't think of any Kang interaction. Uh, Kang only became a thing that uh, I, I heard about from this podcast, funnily enough. Mm. It, it was like, and oh, I, the Kang, that's a weird name. 
It is a weird name, isn't it? It's a it's an onomatopoeic name. It sounds like someone's hitting him with a lead pipe. <laughs> Kang! Kang! Reverberating off his yeah. head. Um, and uh, so I guess what we... We, we kind of... Um, I'm trying to remember. The, the, the end of Loki doesn't quite reveal Kang, does it? Mm. It reveals this person. Uh, the the one who remains, or whatever his name is, um, wearing what to my eye is a Kang outfit, um, and and you know all the publicity around that was swirling, and it was saying this is Kang who's going to feature in Quantum Mania. Um, so coming out of Loki and seeing those, tra- and having seen the trailers for Quantum Mania and he- mm. heard all the um, all the kind of the publicity around it, the guy at the end of that timey-wimey, multiple-dimension reality um, Loki series is the next kind of, like, uh, we, we're assuming, the next big antagonist, certainly for the next Ant-Man movie. What were your thoughts and feelings, then, as we uh, see that trailer and come out of Loki? Oh, seeing the trailer, God. I I mean, there's a lot of things I'm excited about, Um for for Ant Man, I mean, I, th- I think one of the things I'm excited about is seeing Modok. Okay, that's interesting because I I saw a shot and and I I've heard who's who's been cast as him and how they've done it and it you know it's going to be mental to see anyone anyway 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 I'll move away from Modok. We're talking about <laughs> Kang. Sorry, I'm more excited about Modok than I am about. Kang. Well, that's revealing. That's revealing, isn't it? I just want to see how weird things get. Anyway, no, I, I'm looking forward to this because yes, we had. What was it? The one we saw in Loki had a different name. He was a different variation of Kang, wasn't he? He was called the Im- one Immortus, or the one who uh, the, the one, one who remains. One who remains. So what we saw there wasn't necessarily Kang. What we're seeing now is I don't want to say Kang Prime. <laughs> we could say Kang Six One Six maybe, because this is the quantum realm we're diving into. I, I'm really interested now. This is where things start to kick off. This is where the overarching story for the entire saga properly kicks off all, all the pieces we're assuming it, it would seem like it yeah it would seem like this is what's going on i mean you'd have to i i don't, I don't want to go too far away from kang but what kang represents here is a massive uh kickstart of a narrative because when we had say uh gardens of the galaxy and you first saw thanos uh, or did we did we see him in the Avengers film? Actually? In the end of Avengers. Yeah, the end of Avengers. Yeah. yeah, that was the first thing that said, "Ah, things are going to get more serious later on." This is the drip feeding. This is the this is the narrative. Mo- you know, the, the the big arc starting basically, the big saga arc, not mm. the phase arc. And here, uh, the start of Phase Five, we're getting that proper kickoff, potentially. Because of- well, in, yeah, because they've already announced that. Uh, the next Avengers movie is called Avengers Kang Dynasty. Kang Dynasty, but that so all the we way know over. we know it's gonna whatever we know that Kang is going to be our guy in that movie. So that's uh, that's a good little two years of something happening. That's a good two years. We go, basically we're going to have a lot of time to really hate him. <laughs> do you feel that that's been missing from the MCU then since the end of the uh what do we call it the Infinity Saga? I do. I think that 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 it's nice to have this thing looming in the background, this grand opponent who's working almost not really behind the scenes but he's drawing ever so slowly forward as each of the films tell their own different little stories and this person's moving ever closer, involved in each of these strands. 
I think, and I don't know where I'm. I'm just pulling this out of my ass now, but I think we we with like the golden age of um, television drama, which yes. we live in, and I mean, I don't know if you'd say yes or no to this, but maybe the, the golden age of like narrative video games as well. Mm. I think perhaps uh, as as like a Western um, story consuming society, yeah, we seem to be much more geared towards. Like um, ongoing stories, story arcs, things that carry on, and that's something that movies have always struggled to have any part of. Um, you know, famously, things like you know, Bond movies are a massive franchise, but they're not really connected. No, you know, we just, saw yeah. the Harry Potter franchise was um, yes. massive in cinemas. I mean, for a lot of reasons, but I have to think one of them is that those movies, for people that had never read the books, kept them coming back. Certainly for me, I didn't read the books until I think I'd seen all the movies. Um, those, those That that ongoing narrative drew people in. I think we saw, you know, the, the, the Twilight saga mm. kind of had that go, it goes on and on and on. Whereas tr- other other movies that have um, se- you know, think of the Lethal Weapon movies aren't exactly telling <laughs> one ongoing story, are they? The Die Hard movies aren't really telling an ongoing narrative. Yeah. But some of these modern big ones do have elements of that and mm. and i think that i think that that's perhaps i, I wonder whether that's a, a trend and a shift in uh, in our viewing pleasures it's a trend um, and a shift but i also think that some people are i, I don't know if they're just saying it because some people are saying it they're going oh i have fatigue now i can't keep watching all these i'm like eh. you don't have to it's fine you don't have to there's, I a, guess, there's a lot of there's a lot of people talking a lot of they don't listen to people online. Just, just enjoy movies that you enjoy. Oh, no, in person as well. And it's like, what? You think what those people online think in person? This is mad. But that's because they've been they've been propagandized into it. No one, you know, no <laughs> one sits there and thinks, you know what? I've got, I've got Fast and the Furious fatigue. I've got movie fatigue. I've got Game of Thrones fatigue. No, you haven't. You just go... Yeah, I watch something else now. Yeah, and that's perfect. <laughs> none of these people. I, I, I like Marvel films. Sure, it's not high culture, but it doesn't mean I'm not allowed to watch high culture just because I enjoy so-called low culture. I, I, and I, I have to say, to step in and go. I know you're making a, you're kind of joking around there. I reject the idea that this is low culture. I thoroughly, one hundred percent, reject it. Um, I, I think there's an awful lot of snobbery going on there is. from an awful lot of snobs. Yeah, and at, look, uh, I, I think it's our. Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, no, our Spider-Man 2 episode. Mm. We looked at the letters pages from Spider-Man No More story arc in the 1970s. And there's a letter written in there from a kid who is out fighting in the Vietnam War. And he writes in to Marvel to talk about how much pleasure these kids in a hellish situation get when the marvel comics arrive in in you know for for their for their platoon in 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 vietnam and then we get a letter i think at the conclusion of the story saying that we regret to inform you that that young lad passed away in combat right and the take home for me then and i got very emotional researching that mm-hmm. looking into it verifying it getting the letters to kind of bring over to the show got quite emotional talking about it and I think for me the thing is that that these stories I, I don't care about this high culture low culture these stories like don't ever be ashamed of liking something yeah. that you like because sometimes these things which might get looked down on by people can be the most important thing in the world to somebody and they can help someone they can lift someone's spirits and they can they can entertain and excite and make Absolutely. enthusiastic and you can have a cool time speaking of having a cool time we need Mr Hollywood 
to uh, take us behind the scenes on. Uh, well, we've got three episodes of Avengers: Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which is a a cartoon series um, that began in two thousand and ten. Um, um, we've already looked at the beginnings of it, and maybe before we go into um, the movie production notes, actually, Will, um, I know that when we first looked at um, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, you were blown away. You loved it. Oh, uh, it, I, I am, and also, uh, so people who know me know that I keep a list of TV shows and films I've been recommended. I will write it down, and I get to it. I bumped Earth's Mightiest Heroes to... In the next few weeks, I'll be watching Thirst Mighty series all the way through. Well, we we look, it's a great cartoon yeah, series great that series. that um, again, unlike a, a, a lot of, of of maybe classic TV shows, classic maybe cartoon series mm. that were more episodic. I'm thinking Batman the animated series. That's on my um, list too. <laughs> great, great in their own way, but they're kind of one and done episodic things. Mm. Some things carry over, like when Robin becomes Nightwing, but not really ongoing story arcs. Yeah. Um, things like X-Men and the Spider-Man cartoons series of the 90s, they had brilliant elements of that. Oh, We've got did. a huge Phoenix Saga episodes to check out where we deep-dived into that. I think uh, Spider-Man did it the best. It seemed like it seems always like previously this happened on the previous episode and it kept going through. I mean, X-Men did that, but I thought Spider-Man got it just right. They got it just right. Yeah, I, I felt like they... Um, because of all the comic book series that that, that that really benefit from this kind of ongoing personal drama and spy life drama and cliffhangers and stuff, Spider-Man, the comic book series, kind of does does that really yeah. well. But Earth's Mightiest Heroes seems to be doing it with very modern stories and doing it in a really concentrated, um, concerted way. Ongoing story arcs, little plot threads dangling through. Um, we looked at the first um, three or four episodes, which really impressed you, we got great lot of uh, wonderful kind of feedback from it from 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 people, um, and we decided that when it was time to take a look at Kang, there's uh, an old 1960s Marvel cartoon that looks at the very first Avengers. Uh, sorry, the, the Avengers uh, issue where he first appears, but that's that's not particularly good for our purposes. Um, I think there's been another appearance over the years, but this is the best. This is a three-parter, mm. um, which uh, which entails, I think, that the man who stole tomorrow, um, uh, come the conqueror and the Kang dynasty. Yeah, um, and that is sort of what we're referring to as the Kang trilogy in Earth's Mightiest Heroes. So, Mister Hollywood, the man who you, stole uh, tomorrow. Uh, just a second. I thought sounds like a really good Bond film name. <laughs> um, I I think it's taken from the um, the 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 Bowie song, isn't it? The man who stole the your face, the man who sold the world, with the man who sold the world. Um, so I think maybe it's maybe it's in line with that. Who knows? Who knows? But anyway, it's time for Mister Hollywood to get down to business, making. Not making sense of the dollar and cents, but making sense of everything else. So, the episodes, The Man Who Stole Tomorrow and The Kang Dynasty were directed by Sebastian Montez, who has worked on the following projects. He's directed the new Teenage Mutant Ninja uh, Turtles cartoon and the rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles cartoon and was storyboard artist for The Batman, uh, which is an animated series from the mid-noughties. I think, isn't that, it's not the direct follow it i think it might be the di- no the animated series i think it might be i think um we didn't get a batman series until uh, once the animated series ended the yeah. classic tas i think we had then justice league justice league international 
or Unlimited, sorry. And then I think it was the Batman. I think that was the first cartoon series after the um, the one everyone raves about. Didn't you uh, didn't you recommend Batman the ba- the Brave and the Bold? Hundred percent, the best Batman cartoon. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll have to write that down on my list when we're not on the it's podcast. It's so fun and funny. It's got the Good. best version of Aquaman you'll ever see. There's one episode <laughs> okay. where he goes. His wife makes him go on holiday in a Winnebago with their son, Aqua Baby or whatever, and he's just desperate to do some superheroing and she refuses to let him so he keeps sneaking off to be a superhero and then running back to not get in trouble it's the best show that sounds <coughs> perfect anyway uh sebastian montez also uh story- did a storyboard tasks for various transform series recently the sonic the hedgehog movie and the tv series harley quinn now that's really good as well. Yeah, I heard good, nothing but good um, things about this TV show. I I, I wasn't going to bother with it, mm. but then uh, dear friend of mine, um, uh, Darren Harriet, who's currently uh, dancing on ice, skating on ice, dancing on ice. He's currently one of the dancers on Dances with on Ice uh, on ITV. Um, great comedian, um, and we uh, we always used to chat. Um, comic books superheroes and wrestling in the old green rooms back when he was a nobody and so was i and currently 50 percent of that is still true hey. um, and he and and he was like it's really good and i was like you can't be serious and he goes no it's really good so i gave it a watch and he's right it's really fun yeah. really funny kaylee kwoku is the um voice of harley quinn i think she's got some like kind of uh, executive producer control as well uh, nice. and it's great it's, it's a really fun fun series if I if I if I may if I may go on a slight tangent and I was going to tell you this anyway off air at some point, uh, I would recommend you play the video game Batman: The Telltale series. Uh, okay, they're really good. Although it's mainly like an interactive movie more than anything, but it's really really good. I'm on this. They did two seasons of it. I'm on the second season, and Harley Quinn's just popped up, and Joker's in it. But Joker isn't Joker yet. He hasn't found his name, and they totally reversed the relationship between the two. Where Harley's the psychotic, domineering one, and Joker is the submissive one, and it's it's so well done. What would if, I what would I play it on? Uh, I think you can get it on most consoles. Okay, uh, the most. But check it out. Uh, I'm I'm in. I'm doing season two at the moment, and uh, halfway through, and I bloody love it. Anyway, the episode "Come the Conqueror" was directed by Vinton Hiak. <laughs> who has worked on the following projects. He was director for The Batman, the animated series in the mid-noughties, various Transformers series, Invincible, and Harley Quinn TV series. Uh, you liked to, Did you like Invincible, Rob? Yeah, I, I have a weird relationship with Kirkman, and yeah, I think I Invincible's um, probably overall the best thing he's done. Mm. And somehow, I... I somehow think it works better as a, as a as a as an animated series. I don't quite know how that is. Um, Some things just because it's very 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 faithful. It's not like they've changed, made big changes. They, they, they had a good cast in it. I remember watching the first episode, and at the end of the first episode, I remember how shocked I was at the violence. Mm. <laughs> it's been a oh. long time since that's happened to me. It's only you, shocked my violence. You have no idea. That is the tip of the invincible iceberg, baby. No! Oh. <laughs> Season Mate. two's coming out later this year, if, I, if I'm yeah. correct. Oh, I don't know. God. The rate, because they're doing, I think they're doing proper animation, which is why it takes so long. Yeah. Um, or maybe not proper animation, actually, because... Proper, with pen and paper not, and rubbish. The Venture Brothers, it takes them five years to make a new season of The Venture Brothers. It's painful as a fan. I'm looking forward um, to re-watching that as well. Loved it. Anyway, Vinton Hiak also was storyboard artist for uh, 
Avengers Assemble, which is another Avengers cartoon. It's the cartoon that follows on. Well, not doesn't follow on, but replaces this one that yeah. annoyed a lot of fans. Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, Hulk and the Agents of Smash, which we've... That's uh, kind of fun. That's me- fun. Mentioned before. Beware the Batman. That's also a lot of fun. I have to write a lot of stuff down. Uh, Batman, Return of the Cake Crusaders, and the adaptation of Batman, The Long Halloween. Don't ever do adaptations. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? What about Planet Hulk? That was quite good. <laughs> you still a pale. Comp- it's just <laughs> the very, the very highest, highest accolade and highest hope for a animated adaptation of a comic book is to make like a comic book that moves quickly. It's just <laughs> stupid. <laughs> Okay, you got me there. So, when de- on for Earth's Mightiest uh, Heroes, when development started on the show in 2008, there was a concern about launching the show with Captain America as the leader of the team. A great deal of research showed that Cap met a lot of negativity outside the United States. Now, this is something yeah. that I've encountered a lot, and we certainly encountered back when we were first looking at Captain America. Yeah. The huge amount of the feedback that we received from people in, in Britain was... Mm. They still have it. They still think they still have a negative attitude towards the character, a negative attitude towards the first movie, and the whole thing is based around how to. If you're not an American, and maybe if you're not an American that was born in the in, like that was lived through the 30s and 40s, it's an incredibly on face value jingoistic, yeah, chest thumping, uh, over the top. Like like it just feels quite weird. Um, other countries. Not all countries, sorry. But I think mm. we're from a country that, um, aside from the very dark fringe elements, that idea <laughs> of patriotism is, and always has been my whole life, has been very toxic. Yeah. Um, and so seeing it in other countries is very weird to us. Yeah. And so I can I can understand that they had that, that kind of, um, that research that flagged that up, yeah. No, abs- 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 absolutely. I mean, we'll go through it when we uh, go revisit uh, Captain America: The First Avenger. But I remember thinking, "Oh boy, they've got to they got they got to be very careful handling that one." Anyway, so to give people a chance to know the character, it was decided to have Iron Man, whose popularity skyrocketed at the time of development due to the 2008 Iron Man film, lead the team. More importantly, they wanted to mirror the original Sta- uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby run and form the Avengers using the original five members and have Cap join later after they discover him in ice. So, very, very clever way of doing it there. Interesting. Yeah, I, I, I think, like, it's not... I, I, I'm not surprised they didn't do that in the MCU. Mm. I think an awful lot of modern adaptations would not bother with that. They'd go, no, you have Cap in at the start. He's one of the, he's a, he's one of the main ones. He's just in from the start. Um, whereas, uh, it's to me, it, it mirroring just gives it this wonderful mirroring. The original way it was on the comics gives it that sense of, it's a story that develops yes. characters added. They come in, they, they leave. It's not, we have a movie, these characters, then it ends. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Exactly. On working as a story editor for the show, Christopher Yost said, I'm in charge of the writing from top to bottom. 
A few years ago now, supervising producer Josh Fine came to me with Marvel's desire to do an Avengers animated series. And I put forward two concepts for the show, general frameworks for which the series exists in. We ended up using both, more or less. I plan out the overall session arcs with Josh, uh, sorry, the overall season arcs with Josh. I write episodes, usually the kickoffs and the finales, and hire the incredibly talented writers that freelance for the show. I make sure the stories all flow and the characters all sound like they should. Within the production, I try to work within the budget and schedule, i.e. limit the number of characters, the number of new locations, props, etc. I often fail at this part of the job. Avengers is a big show. <laughs> It's interesting to hear like how budget is a part of uh, an animated series like yeah. um, in my in my kind of like non animated minds like the there's I mean what are the budget concerns just draw it just draw it <laughs> draw it faster draw it better <laughs> yeah you don't have to like build it or make it you just draw it you don't have to spend money on it you just have a man draw it <laughs> but i guess that's budget yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Chris Vioff also recognised the importance of having Hawkeye in the Avengers. He said, Well, you generally need one of the big three as well, but honestly, in my mind, Hawkeye's the fourth of the big three. To me, if the team is Black Knight, Cersei, Dr. Druid, Photon and Namor, I'm sceptical. And obviously, I love those characters. I mean, two of my top five are in there. But you could just as easily call them the Defenders or something. But throw Hawkeye in that mix, and that's the Avengers again. He's the guy you or I could be if we worked hard enough. Iron Man is similar, but his armour is one step past reality. Not Hawkeye. He's got the attitude. He's a normal guy standing shoulder to shoulder with the gods and he'll get right in their faces. He's the hand solo of the team. And this series, Earth's Mightiest Heroes, has the best version of Hawkeye you'll ever see, right? Yeah. He's fantastic. Good. Like he's in in the in the uh, the first few episodes we saw, he's very rebellious, he's coming in from the outside and here where he's um a proper member of the team, he's just great. I um I, I really connect with that character in this, uh, and I wish there was more of that. It's a shame we don't get a huge amount of that in the MCU. Um, but, you know, there you go. That's that's just how it is, that mm. they, they went with a certain route, and it was with... Uh, it was with uh, what's the fellow who obviously is recovering from some horrific injuries right now. Jeremy Renner, y- yeah, mm. it sounds awful. Sounds really awful. Uh, I, I, I'd look on his Instagram and stuff, and it's... Oh, God, yeah, he's really recovering. Do you remember the bloke from E17 who ran himself over? <laughs> I knew you were going to bloody say that. I just knew you were going to talk about Brian Harvey with Brian a baked Harvey, potato. He, he ate too many baked potatoes, got very sleepy, fell out of his car and ran himself over. It just feels like it was a Hollywood big production like adaptation of the Brian Harvey story. I've always I've always talked about that, like going back to it, going, oh, he used the press at the time, maybe we shouldn't make fun. But at the same time, they're going, this is really funny. <laughs> It's just I don't I don't know if I would say it's funny. It's just that when you look into the story and you go, Why how on earth did a man run himself over? And his own explanation from his own mouth is I had eaten a lot of baked potatoes that that's, day. That's funny. And how many do you think baked potatoes do you think he ate? Five. Yeah, it's more than four. It's five, I, I, it's I'm five to, baked potatoes. I'm trying to think how many baked potatoes I'd eat before I get into a stupor. But I, I think could, five would be if, the, if you're having nothing else on them i think yeah. i could maybe manage two in a sitting well, uh, but beyond that it's a bit too much potato 
Depends how hungry and hangover I am. I suppose so. Let's take a look at what was happening in the world yes. when uh, these episodes of Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes um, launched into uh, television. Uh, the year 2011. They came out the year after the series kind of made its first debut in 2010. And it is the year, Will, do you remember this? Yes. Of Charlie Sheen's Meltdown. Oh, Tiger Blood Charlie. Such a bizarre roller coaster of a uh, of an event. Um, there was the there was the the salacious news reports that mm. he lived with a trio of women that he called his goddesses. That escalated into a bizarre series of of rants and very erratic behaviour. Um, he was fired from Two and a Half Men. Yeah. Um, replaced by Ashton Kutcher. Then there was the video, video. There was the interview, the famous interview where <laughs> winning, the catchphrase "winning" came winning. from, and he talked about having tiger blood, and uh, utterly, utterly bizarre. Then he embarked on a terrible comedy tour that Yikes. made money, but and then uh, he ended up uh, getting a brand new TV, a brand new like sitcom that ran for multiple seasons. Which sitcom um, was that? It was called Anger Management, and it was about... I think he played a therapist, or he was in therapy. I can't remember. Um, do, you remember do you know how they killed him off in, in uh, Two and a Half Men? Had they killed him off in it? They didn't just say, oh, by the way, this is now him. They had him leave or something. Yeah. Uh, or go missing or something like that. And yeah. then Ashton Kutcher came and bought the house... Yeah. And when you buy a house, you obviously inherit the previous owner's brother and nephew. That's how it works. <laughs> it's like The Sims. It's like buying The Sims. You get them to move house, and you've got to figure out what to do with the old family. And they're like, oh. maybe we can just merge the old family together. <laughs> and then at the end of the episode, they have an actor wearing Charlie Sheen's general kind of outfit costume. He wore very odd shirts. Yeah. Filmed him from behind, approaching the door to ring the doorbell, and there was no dialogue, but you thought, oh, he isn't dead. And then something falls off a roof and flattens him dead. Oh, (laughs) that's uh, weird. That's weird. We also had the royal wedding of uh, Prince William and Kate Middleton. Oh, God, uh, I remember that. Watched by an estimated two billion people. Um. Now just a shout any because we got a lot of American listeners. Um, you might think that we all think that was a big deal. We don't. No. Um, there's a there's like a lot of very older people that were that are really into the royal family still. But in general, nobody in this country gives a flying f. I um, I will admit though, I, I I was playing Minecraft during it, and every now and again I'd switch the. Uh, the other monitor over to see what was happening. I'm glad you admitted that, Will. You made it sound like it was a salacious revelation. I will admit. And you're like, oh, God, what's going to happen? You watched <laughs> telly whilst playing a game. Okay, cool. And, <laughs> and we had the, the, the end of the um, Harry Potter uh, movie franchise in 2011. Mm. Um, the books had already kind of uh, wrapped up. Um, 450 million books sold. Raking in six billion at the box office for the uh, movies, um, became a, a. I mean, really, a, a really more than just a touchstone, like like a huge thing for uh, multiple generations with their childhood. I really do believe that. Um, 
And yes, Deathly Hallows Part 2 hit the theatres in mm. July of 2011. Um, in the world of music, it's the year of Adele, Rolling in the Deep. Um, mm. her, the, the, the very first from Adele's um, album 21 mm. was an absolute inescapable song. Yep, absolutely um, inescapable. I, great song. Um, great, song. great song, and I believe it's the number one song. I don't believe. I'm looking at a piece of paper right now that says, yeah, that was, <laughs> this was it, Rob. It's the number one song of the... Um, of the year mm. um, and also Someone Like You was a huge hit as well oh, um, I remember that I remember the that album one. sold 12 million copies worldwide and she um, she got six Grammy nomifications nomifications that's nom, right nom, standing nom, nomifications. by um, other big let's see if you remember these big smash hits from 2011 um, party rock anthem party rock is in the house tonight oh, everybody just yeah. have a good there we go uh yep. katie perry's firework um yeah you don't really yeah. sing all of them um uh grenade from bruno mars um only, which is a bruno massive mars song i know and love is uptown funk well, there you go this was another one mm. um f uh, you or forget you by CeeLo green um <sighs> Nope. To change words, that one that was a big one. Don't know that one. I'm riding around town with the girl I love, and I said, F you, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Nicki, Nicki Minaj's super bass, mm. an absolute banger. Um, moves like Jagger by Maroon 5. Um, <laughs> god, I hate Maroon 5 so much. Yeah, I was but, about to say, I absolutely hate Maroon 5, but that song um, gets in your head. And What's My Name by Rihanna featuring Drake. Um, a huge song as well. In the movie world, what do you think the number one movie of 2011 was, Will? It brought in, um, in that year anyway, it brought in 381 million. Oh. Um, it's a sequel, sort of. Well, it yeah, yeah. I don't like. Well, it's. Just, I, I. I. I'm stumped. I, I. I don't think I went to the cinema much in 2011. It was Harry Potter and the Deathly, Deathly Hallows. Part there we two. go. Part two, yeah. um, the number two movie of the year was Transformers: Dark of the Moon, bringing <sighs> over 350 million dollars. Number three was the Twilight Saga: Breaking Dawn Part One. Mm. Um, the fourth top-grossing movie of the year was The Hangover Part 2, and the fifth <laughs> was Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Tides. Um, yeah. But more R-Speed. Yes. The uh, big superhero movies of the year. Of course, 2011 saw the release of both Thor and Captain America, the first Avenger, um, who uh, had impressive debuts, really. Thor bringing in over $181 million at the box office. Captain yes. America bringing in 176 not far off it. We also had X-Men First Class. Hey. Um, uh, with uh, 146 million, um, the Green Lantern movie limped in with 116 million. Oh God, I remember that film. And I'm not sure if this one counts, but I put it anyway. The Green Hornet, Seth Rogen's Green Hornet movie, with 98 million dollars at the box office. Yeah, I barely um, heard about that one. Mm, yeah, it did. I, I you know they weren't they weren't a massive. I don't think they had a lot of money behind it. So mm. there you go. It also wasn't ter- terribly well received. Uh, it, I, I, I'm a big fan of the concept and of the the idea and the character and stuff. Um, but there you go. What can you do? In the world of Marvel Comics, um, we had um, we had some pretty big events, really, um, in Marvel Comics in 2011. Over in the Ultimate Universe, Ultimate Peter Parker is killed off by the Green Goblin. 
and they have a definitive end to Peter Parker's story in the Marvel Universe Um, and that means we get the first appearance of Miles Morales for the first time as he takes up the mantle of um, Spider-Man in the Ultimate Spider-Man Separate Universe Um, in the main Spider-Man in the main 616 universe um, we had Spider Island in the middle of Dan Slott's incredible (laughs) run the population of Manhattan mysteriously becomes super powered individuals with Spider-Man's powers and abilities including civilians, heroes and worryingly enough villains all a plot by the Jackal um, and it brings back the return of Kane, the very first failed clone of Spider-Man, um, launches a new Scarlet Spider series. And the purpose behind that series, which I think is really good, is it shows that um, being Spider-Man has nothing to do with having the powers. Um, and that's the cool kind of message and, and parable being told throughout that story. Um in the X-Men universe, Cyclops and Wolverine come to a breaking point, an event or a storyline called Schism. Um, Cyclops has recently sent uh, the the children learning to be uh, control their mutant powers. He put them into a dangerous combat situation, used them as X-Men in a dangerous fight to protect mutant kind, and that pushes Wolverine and many other people apart. There is a intense physical showdown between Cyclops and Wolverine, and the X-Men split in half. Wolverine refuses to let children be used as weapons like he was, and so the schism appears. Wolverine takes kind of half the team and a bunch of the kids with him back to uh, Westchester in New York to reopen the school, this time named after the dearly departed Jean Grey, which becomes the Jean Grey School for um, gifted youngsters. While Cyclops continues to lead the rest of his people, his mutant kind, in San Francisco, opening the the doors of their island um, as a safe haven to any mutant in the area. In the world, sorry. Um, And at the same time, Wolverine's uncanny X-Force is kicking off uh, Wolverine's secret black ops team of hunters and assassins that operate... In the uh, in the dark, in the shadows, on the fringe of the mutant world, committing crimes, murders, and killings that, if exposed to the public, would cause nothing bad publicity for the mutant population. But Wolverine believes they're taking care of uh, insane problems before they get out of hand. And his uncanny X Force team um, consists of Deadpool, Psylocke, Archangel, and Phantom X. An amazing series, one of my all-time favourites. Um, so that is what is going on in the world in 2011. Well, we've explored the world of 2011 when Avengers Earth Mightiest Heroes put out these Kang-related episodes. We've gone behind the scenes with uh, Mr. Hollywood to um, get those incredible quotes and dig into the dirt of who was involved. Let's take a trip behind the page now. And let's look at how Kang came into being. Um, We go back to... Or do we? We go back to 1964, Will. Mm. Kang the Conqueror first appears in issue 8 of The Avengers, very early on. Um, Except he doesn't. Except Except he doesn't. (laughs) Kang is the most... The creation of Kang, Will, is the most unique we've ever seen. Right from the get-go. He, as a character, is a retcon from the very moment he's introduced. That's really on point, isn't it? So, oh. um, just to briefly dig into that term, 
because we never know. We've got lots of new listeners all the time. In long-running stories, movies, TV shows, comic books, sometimes the writers will want to change something that happened in the past. Um, or they want to reveal some new information about something that happened in the past mm. and, and change what it meant when it happened. Yeah. When they do this in a current story, that is generally referred to as a retcon, which means retroactive continuity basically introducing a new story element that changes something that they've already established in the past even if you're an so, entry entry level geek you will know that word that, that word yeah, but lots, of, so lots, of pe- lots of people don't know lots of oh yeah don't. yeah of course of so course, but yeah in the 1990s the spider-man comics had a big massive story where they revealed that peter parker that we've all been reading comics about for the last 30 years is actually a clone of the real Peter Parker, mm. not the real guy. So that's an example of a retcon. Yeah. That was not always the case. They introduced the story and said, oh no, that happened. Um, or in popular British soap opera EastEnders, because these things don't always have to be sci fi based. In popular British soap opera EastEnders, famous criminal character Dirty Den was killed <laughs> off in the 1980s. Um, and whilst viewers at home never actually saw his death, he was dead. And then in 2003, the soap brought the actor and the character back, and it was revealed that his death was actually faked. And that is another example of a retcon. Um, now, Kang first appears in issue 8 of Avengers as a time-travelling warlord. But he um, almost immediately reveals that he is actually another already existing Marvel character. Oh. The previous year, in the Fantastic Four, they had travelled back in time to ancient Egypt and fought a powerful pharaoh called Ramatut. And Ramatut revealed himself to be a time traveller from the 31st century, who had taken the advanced technology of his day and age use a time machine to go back to where there was less sophisticated beings and use that technology to defeat them and conquer them. Kang explains to the Avengers that this was him, a younger version of the same time traveller. So Kang's first appearance is either Avengers issue 8 or it's a year previous in Fantastic Four issue 19. And to make things more complicated... Uh, In Avengers issue 10, just two issues later, the heroes do battle with a character called Immortus the Lord of Limbo, a character that attempts to destroy the Avengers by using his control and mastery of Limbo, the place beyond time and space, to to bring historical figures and some mythological figures, Mm. uh, which they don't address, like Paul Bunyan, Genghis Khan, and Goliath from the Bible... Um, <laughs> to the 21st century uh, to do battle with the Avengers. Immortus is later revealed to also be Kang, an older version of the same time traveller. Um, considering that this is being put together in the 60s and the 70s, it's a very cool and very advanced thing that they're, that they're putting together and they're yeah. doing. Um, another character who battles them in the 60s or 70s, called the Scarlet Centurion, Mm. um, is also later revealed to be a failed version of Kang. Um, Wow. Now, what we're seeing... You know, what does a retcon kind of do? Well, we're saying it changes the past. It changes the past of the story you're reading. It changes the experience you have 
of having read that story. It sheds new light on an, on on a reading experience you had and say, but actually all along, this was really happening. So in some ways, a retcon changes your past, right? Changes the experience you had in the past. What a perfect way of creating and introducing a time traveler in this ongoing story that is Marvel Comics. Does that resonate? Hmm. The way they're using, like, they can use a retcon to become a practical device of a a time travel. They're, they're they're creating a practical effect of time travel in a exactly. story. Yeah, which is incredible. It's kind of like it's kind of like you're in a fight, but then someone punches you or, or something. But you make you use the momentum to actually work with it. It's like oh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but it, 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 you're using the momentum of a previous what could be. Something that hinders you in the future, but you actually go, no, 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 using this to our advantage. Using okay. this to our advantage. Yeah. And that was I, a bad example. Where it was. Came out it with- really was. <laughs> it was madness. What I was trying to get to is that there are lots of ways that you can show time travel mm. in a story. Yeah. And that's whatever you do. What you know, you'll draw. Uh, you you have you, the CGI or whatever, whatever you you create it in the story. But they are doing real world time travel by affecting and changing something that you've already read in the past. There is a uh. real world element of practical time travel that goes on with a retcon, and I think. To have Kang's first appearance be an entire kind of introduction of this retcon, he is practically time traveling in our reading experience which i think is really kind of cool um mm. but outside of that kang is a significant uh, moment in the history of the avengers um their battle with him is the first time that they're battling a true supervillain and fighting to save the whole world in the previous issues of the avengers the team's adventures had been much smaller and isolated, and they weren't that different, much different to the Fantastic Four. The Fantastic Four, in the way that the world, that the Marvel Universe views them, and a lot of people view them, they don't really view them as superheroes. They're not viewed as the defenders of the Earth, or you know, the people that say the world. They're 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 very you know they they've got their own thing going on. They're a family. Mm. They're explorers. They're scientists. They're adventurers. The Avengers have been very similar. They first start out, you know, when it's Loki mucking around with them because he hates his brother. Then they fight some lava men from an underground cave, and that's something the Fantastic Four have done. They fight the Hulk a bunch of times because he's mad at them and has left the team. Mm. Some of their old villains team up to come back and get them, something the Fantastic Four have done. But these are all kind of personal feuds or quite smaller threats. Issue 8 is the first time the Avengers are like standing on a world stage and facing down a guy who threatens to destroy the moon and conquer the world and blow up world leaders. A villain who's who's very close to bringing the world to its knees. So battling Kang is arguably the first time that the Avengers truly become the Earth's mightiest heroes. We love hearing from you guys and uh, you can always drop us a line at marvel versus on twitter or you can send us an email to uh, marvel versus marvel at gmail.com and i know that will's got a mailbag full to bursting for us there what have you got will it's a big old bag good 
Right. <laughs> First up, it's the worst script. That was just, I could tell you wanted to like pump loads of enthusiasm into it. And you had that enthusiasm in your tone, but the words you chose were, it's a big bag. <laughs> <laughs> big old bag. So, Maxwell Zorb got in touch. It feels like a long time since I've been super excited for the MCU movies, but Kang in Quantum Mania is giving me Thanos vibes. I was worried it was going to take you guys years to finally get round to covering Kang. I'm so pleased you found a way to give us a Kang episode. That's kind of true because it. I mean, how far off getting to Quantum Mania would we be? Quite a while. Yeah, I quite. Think. I would say 2020, 2025 at the very least. Things will speed up, I suppose, at some point. But yeah, we've got a lot to get through. We've got a lot but to yeah. get through. We've but we thought to... I'm glad this resonated. We thought this was a cool way of doing it. Very, you're, gee, Rob, you're so clever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he continues. I'm so pleased you found a way to give us a Kang episode. I don't know anything about the character other than he can do time travel. So I'm psyched for you guys to tell me everything I need to know before seeing Quantum Mania. Thank you, uh, Maxwell Zorb. Max- Maxwell Zorb. Maxwell Silver Zorb um, came down upon his head. <laughs> you don't know that Beatles song. Never mind. Well, I, I'll be honest with you, mate. It didn't sound like a song, um, and the, you changed a lot of the lyrics so that it was, you know, what were you singing? Maxwell Silver Hammer by the Beatles. Oh, I actually don't know that song. I mean, oh, I might great know song. if I heard it. Lovely but song. I might know if I heard it because the Beatles songs sound very similar. Um, so thank you, Maxwell Zorb, for that uh, for getting in touch. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you won't need to know anything when you go into Quantum Mania, but um, it's always fun for us to have uh, a, a deeper exploration um, of um, of a cool new character. Who else we got? Will we got Sally F, who has discovered the cartoons. I'd never heard of the Earth's Mightiest Heroes cartoon before you did an episode on it. You made it sound so cool, I was excited to see it's a part of Disney+. Plus. So I've started binging my way through the series. There's so many dope things in this show. I love the long storylines that keep going. And some of the characters are much cooler than the MCU. I love their version of Hawkeye, and the same with the Wasp. She's loads more fun than the movies. The Kang episodes were my first time really seeing that character, aside from Loki, and I'm interested to see how much of this character they use in Quantum Mania. Thank you, Sally. Yeah, I, I yeah, it's um, it is going to be yeah. What I was going to say, I love the Wasp in this cartoon as well. Yeah, a lot more fun than the movies, right? Yeah. Um, also, really nice hair. Cool, cool. <laughs> I like her hair. <laughs> I like Kate from Lost as much as the next man who grew up loving Lost. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Hope doesn't. I don't know. I'm not sure about the character really. Yeah, she's kind of fun, I suppose. Um, who else have we got? We got Tim Fields, who loved the last show. So if you haven't listened to it yet, please do. Or if you have, oh, listen man, to it yeah. again after. That uh, feedback's uh, been flowing in. Mate, it really has. Iron Man Remastered. What can I say? Awesome, epic, incredible. When you first announced you were doing this project, I didn't think much of it. I like the first episodes you did. That's what got me into your podcast in the first place. But then I realised those episodes didn't have any of the behind-the-scenes stuff, none of the behind-the-page history, and they're pretty short compared to the new episodes. And I've they listened- were recorded on a potato. That's what it sounds like. It sounds like we recorded the episodes on a potato. <laughs> he said, I've listened to Iron Man Remastered twice already. That's- Thank you. Who is that? Sorry. 
That was that was Tim Fields. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for writing in, buddy. Um, they were recorded uh, on a potato, weren't they? <laughs> God, oh. I'm really, I'm really pleased. Like because I know that people have people. You know, it's it's one of these things where I don't know if anyone. I don't think anyone was crying out for us to do them. I think no, people no are just moved. Was. It was just. It was kind of maybe just us, but pe- people, had, you know, listened to it. Yeah, I got some sort of moved on, but the, the more we thought about it and talked about it and looked at it, like I looked at my notes for Iron Man, the first episode. Yeah. My notes def- for this. My notes for this episode uh, are twenty-five pages at the mm. moment. Right. Um, I forget what it was for Iron Man remastered. It was more though, wasn't it? It was a lot. It was. I mean, no, it was one of the longest uh, notes I've ever written my end. So, there was so much I found. I, I found my notes for Iron Man 1. It was barely a page. <laughs> <laughs> it was just like reminder notes. This happened. Don't know when. <laughs> so we just didn't have the... We just didn't... We, we were just... We didn't know each other. We didn't necessarily maybe have the same chemistry we have now. Mm. Uh, we hadn't really done a project. We'd done a little bit of a project together, a little oh, yeah, bit of your we, comedy. We, we, worked, we worked on my show, but we we just um, we were just finding things out, and we didn't have any of the research skills and uh, any of that stuff, production skills. So yeah, I mean, the more we talked about it, the more we went, we can do this, and we can do that, and we can look at this, and we can loads to do, man. Yeah. And we're gonna keep blasting our way through phase one. People did ask on Twitter, does this mean that you're not? carrying on with the rest of the are you starting all over again basically and i had to reassure people on twitter no we're not starting all over again we're just gonna rattle our way through phase one whilst we're carrying on we're gonna be doing black panther this year infinity war this year we're gonna keep going on it's a war on several fronts don't worry absolutely we're handling everything uh peter j got in contact he said, this remastered Iron Man is effing incredible. I'm now really looking forward to the other Phase 1 remastered top points. <laughs> he loves saying top points. Does he say top points? <laughs> yeah, top points. <laughs> Hopefully yeah. I'll see him soon and he'll say it then and I'll just point at him when he does it. Uh, yeah, PJ definitely come into um, the, the, the live show Fantastic. as he's let me know. He's a lovely um, fella. As have a bunch of other people already. I don't want to say in case I've got the got who's coming wrong but a bunch of other people have said that they are on their way as well i, I know a few i always remember meeting peter j for the first time i think we were in the outside the lift in the hotel in leicester oh yeah a year ago and i was like oh hello awkward hello bye bye because you guys had to get your masks off and everything because we're still we'd also had a terrible time booking in oh yeah I awful time <laughs> booking into that hotel yeah no hotel this year will no hotel i am like 25 minutes door to door so excited it's going to take me a while but I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the drive looking forward to the drive anyway we got one last letter Craig P everybody Craig P has done the right thing that's when we should play like a round of applause like a sound effect of people <laughs> cheering but, but, big up Craig P big, big, whoop, whoop. Uh, in that bit of time between Christmas and New Year where everyone is broken there's nothing to do I had way too much time on my hands I listened to old episodes of the podcast all the time but I really wanted something new to sink my teeth into so Ooh, I took the 10 yes, quid sink those teeth Craig sink, sink those em. teeth <laughs> I took the 10 quid my sister gave me for Xmas and I signed up for Patreon I know That's it's meant right. to be about doing the right thing but I really did it for all the bonus episodes there's so many I had to focus on for the big crossover episodes that have the Avengers in so far I've been through uh, 
Secret Wars, House of M, Civil War, Justice League vs. Avengers, and the Young Avengers episode, and loved them all. I also listen to the obscure Marvel mini-shows on my way to work in the morning, and I'm loving them. They're so much fun. Well, thank you, Craig P., for doing the right thing. I mean, whether you intentionally did it or not, I, listen, it's a selfish <laughs> act. I, we get it. You need to do it for you. Just don't, you, you know, like we need you to do it for us, but you also need to do it for yourself. You need to get yourself clean. Um, there's some people you can't get cleaner than, though. Did you know that? Ooh, yes. You know there's some people you can't get cleaner than? I, I'm I, talking I, I about... Because, look, we got tears here at Marvel vs. Marvel. Uh, you can just buy me and Will a cup of coffee a month. Three English pounds, right? A drink a month. I mean, we'd we'd die of, of thirst if that was the case, but that's all you have to do. Um, you can get yourself uh, a bit higher up at the uh, early access tier, get every show earlier. You can get your um, £10 tier, your VIEP tier, which will get you access to every episode we every bonus episode we do plus early access and then will then. there's the tier above oh the tier there's above the step beyond as madness would say there's the extra mile you can go and that's doing the real right thing mm. that's when you look at that 10 pound top top tier the most rewards you can possibly get and you say to yourself this podcast deserves more. And you double that pledge. You double it. You give us twice as much as the VIEPs because you know it needs to be in our pocket and it needs to be going where the lights need to stay on. The people that do that get themselves super clean. I'm talking about Peter J with the big mohawk. I'm talking about Brandon Spagilski. I'm talking Randall Schmidt. Zach Thomas, Basta Beer, Sam, Bindi, and Sue P. People that have been with us, Will, for so long, pulling so much of this cart along that track. Um, we love those guys. Massive shout out to all of them, the top sponsors of this podcast that make it all possible. Um, we got some uh, newbies that have joined us as well, yes, which is we always do. cool. Uh, Crab Lord <laughs> Richard Myers it's, oh, I love when we have sensible real names Slight abbreviations and then lunatics um, I'm not saying you're a lunatic Crab Lord But you are the Lord of Crabs apparently um, uh, Crab Lord Richard Myers uh, We've got Matt Vernon Who may or may not be a childhood friend of mine I'm not sure I, I was a, a lad I grew up with called Matt Vernon. I haven't we haven't been in contact for a, for a long, long time now. He's not on socials, but that's a distinctive name. I hope it is you, Matt. Shout out, Matt. We used to live three doors down from each other, and uh, he I used to bug him about comics all the time, and he kind of read, but kind of read what I had. But I, anyway, uh, if you're not the, the Matt Vernon I grew up with, hiya, uh, Shelley T Ward Eight and Fin Fang Foom. That's a deep Ooh, pull. Yes, um, deep New patients who've joined us recently. Um, thank, shout out to you guys. Thanks for coming on to the board. Now, look, no one out there does what we do. They don't do it the way we do. No, no, We're not no. talking about some 20-minute YouTube video. <laughs> Who'd win in a fight between Hulk and... Oh, shut up. You We're can, not talking can, about a BuzzFeed. Capcom versus Marvel for that. You can do that. We're not talking about a BuzzFeed article. We're not no. talking about some 40-minute podcast where two nobodies 
pretend they know what's happening in the MCU. News and rumours say Kevin Feige is planning this. Shut up. No, they don't. <laughs> You're reading another website article out oh. loud and calling it a podcast, and it's not. This is Marvel versus Marvel. This is research. This is real Marvel history. This is real deep dives. We're talking real context. And right now, some of you out there aren't giving back. You're not giving back. No, no, no. You're not being part of the community. You're not supporting the only show that matters. Over three hours on Venom and Carnage. Nearly four hours on Iron Man and the birth of the MCU. We bring you that mass amount of deep dives and context, all the history, all the trivia. But we can only do this without your support. Look, guys, we don't subject you to those intrusive adverts for mattresses and boner pills. <laughs> We're funded entirely by listeners who love what we do, are part of that community. If you're coming back every single week to listen to this, then you are a fan and you knew you what you need to do. You need to put your money where your mouth is. Yes. Because... Um, that's the only way that great content you love can get funded. This podcast requires days of work to put everything together, to research, to write it, to produce it, to edit it. And we only exist because of you guys, so you've got to do the right thing. Support us on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. And, and hey, we have so much fun giving back to you guys. For just the price of a coffee, a drink, a month... You can do the right thing, support us, cleanse your soul, and you're going to get access to obscure Marvel and some other fun bonus uh, mini-episodes. Uh, this month on Obscure Marvel, Will, it was Avengers versus the Minotaur, um, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. Uh, the Search for the Hulk, um, and I know that was one of your uh, one of your faves recently. Uh, Obscure yeah, yeah, Marvel yeah. is always just tremendous. Like like uh, Craig P said, he listened to it on the way to work. Um and it's one I go back to as well when I'm going out for a walk or going to the shops. I go, oh, put an obscure Marvel on. It's 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 fun. It's a fun it's a fun addition to the uh, the Marvel versus Marvel franchise. Um, but it does it does stretch my sanity sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the most the most ridiculous uh, stories and characters in the history yeah. of the Marvel universe that I torture Will with, yep. and that's yours. For the price of a single coffee every month. Um, and then we have uh, the early access tier. But then we've got, as we talked about, the VIEPs who get full-length bonus episodes. And this month, we did Maximum Carnage last month. That was a hell of a show. Yeah, it was. Um, this month, we bring you the Kang Dynasty. The story that has already influenced the MCU. We know that because in 2025, we're getting Avengers... Kang Dynasty. So we're not gonna wait. If you're with us on Patreon, we are doing it. We are deep diving Kang Dynasty this month, February, on Patreon. It's Kang versus the Avengers and the entire world. It's the biggest and most badass Kang story of all time. We're not waiting to 2025, Will. We're no. not waiting. And no one that's with us on Patreon has to wait until 2025. We're deep diving it this month on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel you'll get access to over 30 full-length bonus episodes you'll get access to uh 28 mini shows all the obscure marvels plus early access to every single show that's patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel do the right thing So there we have it. We have laid the table. We're taking a look 
at three episodes of the incredible cartoon series Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Um, these aired in 2011. They are the Kang Trilogy, and we're going to use it as our uh, our way of diving into Kang the Conqueror as he is uh, in screens right now in Quantum Mania for the first time. I'll hand the show over to Will. Let's press play. The man who's... I should just... I forgot to put this in somewhere. (laughs) Just cast your mind back to those first episodes we did on uh, Avengers Earth Mighty's Heroes. They introduced Mm. Kang in the Captain America episode. They did. Kang is watching... Captain America, he believes he's some sort of um, anachronism uh, in time that is causing a lot of headaches and a lot of um, concerns and problems. And Kang keeps going back in time to look at Captain America and the Avengers and seeing a disaster on the way that has already wiped out part of his world and things. So um, that was the setup a few episodes ago. Okay. I'll begin the episode. In Earth's orbit... Kang's starship, Damocles, arrives undetected. As the Conqueror stares at the phased body of his wife, the crew informs him that they are in the 21st century and the name of the location he's after is New York City. So it begins, Kang utters. At Adventures Mansion, Tony Stark tells Steve Rogers the definition of futurist and how he's trying to invent technology for the next century. Commenting that Stark doesn't know how to fight, Steve tells the Futurist to meet him in the training room. Uh, Steve is incredibly buff here, isn't he? He's, he's a chunky boy. I suppose so, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. Captain America. I mean, he's pretty He's pretty buff in the movies. I don't know if you've seen Chris Evans in that movie. He's quite buff, pretty chunky. He is, but here, here it's, 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 it's a step above. It's a step above. He's hulking. Mm, but I yeah. suppose so. Anyway, let's not stare at uh, his... his broad rippling shoulders uh kang has a huge starship here called damocles is that something he has in the comics well traditionally um since like since his first appearance in the in the well hmm, or his second appearance or his wait his or maybe his third appearance um in the 60s kang had a, a time ship which was referred to as his time ship um which was not as big as this huge old thing here hmm. um his time ship uh, it was a rather plain-looking thing that looked a bit like a big oyster shell, um, and okay. had guns on the outside. And it could, you know, deep space travel, go through time and stuff, um, smashing through the walls of reality. It's described as, <laughs> um, and it can it can shape shift. I think it can it can camouflage itself in the in whatever current time it's in, mm. um, and uh, it could also alter its size and grow bigger if need to. Um, when he was oh, wow. um, Pharaoh Ram Ramatut, uh, he travelled through time in a spaceship shaped like a giant sphinx. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, actually, it just, yeah, it just crash lands in ancient Egypt. Bang! New sphinx. Here it is. You'd think that would be like re- a really bad shape, but it's in space, so it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. It's not it going. Matter. It's not no aerodynamics. It's, yeah, it's, no, it's fine. Um, and then in the Kang Dynasty storyline, we do get the debut of what is a, it's a space station. Really, it's called mm. Damocles Base. Um, is there anything distinctive about the the look of Damocles in this cartoon series? I remember it being very sharp looking, but maybe because I'm subconsciously thinking of Damocles as in 
the sword of Damocles. Well, the Damocles base in in the Kang Dynasty is mm. shaped exactly like an, an old sword with a hilt and a handle floating <laughs> in space. And Kang would have it hang over the world yes. he was about to conquer. It's very on the nose. Now that's an aerodynamic shape, the sword. Sure. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 like a whole space station. I mean, mm. I, I don't know what the difference is between a space. I mean, well, maybe it isn't a space station because it moves. So, well, a space I'm station say no stays in orbit. It's stationary, yeah, yeah. roughly. roughly um, yeah. Uh, but it's it, it's referred to as a base more than a ship, which is interesting. Um, it shows up in the uh, Lego video games, um, Ooh, which, which is. One? I don't know Lego Lego Super Marvel superheroes. They're they're all that's what they call, aren't they? I think it's I think it'll be the second one because I only played the first one. Okay, I'll play um, the second one soon. And it is it that's more like a big spaceship, mm. um, and that is shaped a bit like a sword. Yeah, oh, the sword shaped spaceship. I love it. With Hawkeye and Hulk as their audience, Cap and Stark spar in a boxing ring. Before Tony can land the first punch, though, Cap floors him. Stark tries again and is sent flying at the ropes. Again and again, Steve effortlessly counters Tony's move, with Hulk and Hawkeye laughing at Stark's attempts. Cap tells Stark that he can't always count on his armour to protect him, and he needs to be ready for anything. But Stark says he knows exactly what's coming and what to be ready for. Isn't it nice to have like Hulk kind of have moments of levity? Yeah, I like and, it. And it works for this version of the character that's yeah. kind of I mean it's, it's certainly more thinking than you get in the MCU and oh, it's yeah. more it's much more close to, to some of the interpretations of the comics where he talks and he's got speech faculties and stuff um, do you see him much as uh, in the series do you ever see a lot of uh, Bruce Banner or is it mainly the Hulk yeah, mainly the Hulk. Yeah, you see Banner in the very first Gamma episode. I remember that. Um, and I think it's mainly the Hulk. You, you, there's a bit more. There's an, another one where he's being mind controlled. I don't know. I, I mean, it's mainly Hulk, yeah. That's fine. That's fine. Elsewhere, Hank Pym, Janet Van Dyne, and Thor lead a captured supervillain, Blizzard, to an invention created by Pym, Stark, and Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four. A portal that leads directly to a prison facility in the negative zone. In hell. It's in hell. (laughs) One of Pym's Ultron robots leads the supervillain to incarceration. So this is uh, the 17th episode of season one of this show. And we're already dealing with interdimensional stuff. Fantastic. I can't wait to go through this when I get through the many Oscar winning movies that I've put on my list. If anything, it's except take them a long time. You should you're doing a comic book, you should get to interdimensional stuff really quickly. Exactly. It should be space and aliens and clones and different dimensions. G- All go for it. Sorts of nonsense. Stan and Jack just went through that stuff, baby. <laughs> so can Tony Stark actually do hand to hand fighting in the comic books, or is he just Mr. Science Man? For the first two decades, uh, he's just a science dude. He's a, he's a, he cannot fight. He's a nerd, um, big old but, nerd, uh, a nerd that gets a lot of action with the ladies. But he's a nerd. Um, then in the <laughs> late seventies, uh, Justin Hammer frames him for a murder he didn't commit. Um, oh, Hammer hacks. I think this is the right one. Hammer hacks like. The Iron Man armor and activates a repulsor blast, and it causes essentially it blows a guy's head off 
when he's meeting Iron Man and the rest of the world just sees Iron Man blow a guy's head off. Um, So Tony has to solve the case without using his armor um, because he has to surrender the Iron Man and the police are after him and stuff. So he goes to Captain America and he says, I'm a weedy wussy wuss, um, (laughs) and gets himself some lessons in 1930s fighting. Um, <laughs> and 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 from there, although you don't see much more of it from that from that point on, the stories kind of different writers going forward basically kind mm. of took it and 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 presented it as okay. Tony has been studying a lot with Captain America, yeah, and he's actually become decent at defending himself and fighting off regular humans, henchmen, or whatever. Um, so he's not an expert or anything, mm. um, but you know we didn't see. It's not like there was a he was training with Cap in every issue. They just kind of used that as a point of reference and went. Let's assume he's been doing that for like he's always doing that now, mm. and so he's kind of decent at it. And over the years, they've 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 mentioned or brought in that he's sought kind of like additional instruction from um, uh, the Black Widow and and Shang Chi. So yeah, he 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 from the kind of eighties onwards, he becomes. Not helpless without the armor. Okay, good, good. Recovering from their sparring session, Stark tells Cap that his goal is to use technology to help humanity, but Steve thinks Stark should slow down a bit and learn some of the old ways. Just then, the blinding light shines into their room and Kang enters. The Conqueror says he has a message to deliver to Captain America before firing a laser, which Cap deflects with his shield. Stark uses his force field to block further attacks and instructs Jarvis to activate defences, but these do nothing against Kang. Warping out of the way of Stark's blasts, Kang teleports right next to him and lifts Iron Man off the ground by his neck with one fist. Cap throws his shield at Kang, but the Conqueror stops the disc in midair. I'm really looking forward to seeing Kang being this badass in the MCU. I have absolutely no idea what to expect. We've covered a lot of him, but have even we? then, we, I think we've covered a fair bit of Kang. We've covered a fair bit of Kang already. We had a <laughs> what? We, we had a bonus. We had a oh, we had the Bo- Young Avengers bonus, bonus episode. Bonus episode. I'm on about. Um, but even that, he's barely in that. Mm. Well, I'm getting an idea of him anyway. Mm. But I, I'm really looking forward to seeing him. So, how do we first meet Kang in the original stories? Is it anything like this? No, of course not. It's 1963. Yay! It's mental. Um, a UFO arrives out of the blue, and it uses some sort of ray gun to blast a region of woodland, hmm. burning it down and superheating it until it becomes a very polished bit of land for like a landing strip it's very smooth it's it's described as being like smooth smooth and shiny like glass um i don't know why but the army are terrified of this they go oh no someone's made glass out of wood um but the ship it's like the ship really needed somewhere to land and i don't know Mm. why it's a big feature of this story stanley thought this was a great idea um the army then surrounds the weird spaceship that looks like a clam and they drive tanks right up to it um uh, but the spaceship fires at the tanks with something they call a vibro ray, <laughs> not a laser, not an energy beam. It, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a ray that makes things shake violently, and it shakes the tanks until they all fall apart. Wow! <laughs> and then this lunatic dude dressed up like a super gaudy pimp steps out 
green and purple costume. He comes strutting out the UFO. I'm Kang. Your weapons mean nothing. I could blow up the moon. Uh, send me your most powerful men and leaders so I can accept their surrender. Um, which is when the White House decides, let's go nowhere near these people. You know those <laughs> weird Avengers guys in, in Manhattan? They can deal with this. We want nothing to do with it. Um, so that's how we first meet Kang. Although technically... What do we know, Will? What do we know? He's he's a time traveller. Is, is this how we first meet Kang? No. no. Because we first meet Kang in that Fantastic Four issue a year earlier. Yes. Um, because of the retconning. Because so, he's travelled, what was it, travelled all the way back to ancient Egypt and was a... So, a pharaoh, yeah. A pharaoh. He conquered the Egyptians. So, as he reveals in this issue, that we'd previously met him a year before. Um, he previously battled the Fantastic Four as Pharaoh Ramatut. So, in one of their earliest adventures, the Fantastic Four... Oh, God. Right. So, you know Alicia... You remember from the movie, the, the Fantastic Four movie, there's Alicia Masters, their friend who is blind... Yes, uh, things. Uh, girlfriend. Girlfriend. Um, so Reed Richards is looking at hieroglyphics one day, and he says, look at this, there's a blind pharaoh. And then this hieroglyphic means that his followers gave him a radioactive isotope, and then he can see again. <laughs> Let's travel into the past to find a cure for blindness. Radioactive so, cure for blindness from ancient Egypt. Ooh. So they steal Doctor Doom's time travel machine that he's just left lying around, um, and they go into ancient Egypt and they're immediately attacked by a pharaoh um, who commands this incredible technology, including it's like it's honestly I think it's described as a gun that makes you a slave. He fires this ray gun at you, and slave it, gun. It saps your ability and controls your will and everything. Uh, and FYI, Kang never seems to have this gun, just Ramses. Um, Ramatut, sorry. Um, and so he strips some of their power, reveals he's a time traveler from the distant future, and then he makes the Fantastic Four his slaves. Can you think of all the things you could do with the powers of the Fantastic Four, Will? All um, the powers. So let me run you through what Pharaoh <laughs> Ramatut does to the Fantastic Four. The Thing is forced to use his great strength to row a big boat like a slave. The Human Torch becomes a juggler. <laughs> like, a, like the jester juggling fire for the amusement of, of the Pharaoh. Uh, the Invisible Woman is, of course, forced to become his queen. Um, how do you think they use Reed Richards? Uh, is he like his scientist? No. He's a jester. Fool. No, he's stretchy, isn't he? He's used to stretch himself up to be very, very tall so he can see further away, look over a hill, and see if anyone's coming. I'm not making this up. These are the real things that Kang forces the Fantastic Four to do. Oh, no. That's oh. how we first meet Kang. Oh, God. If only we had someone really stretchy so he could see far away. There's a... in in, in oh. He-Man... Right, there's a He-Man. You know, every He-Man character has a different, like, weird thing he does, a weird power. Yeah, One of yeah, them yeah. has a telescopic neck, um, and it's it only ever in the cartoon used for looking over a wall. <laughs> it's like, why is this guy here? Is he? Do we? Do we need this one? Um, <laughs> that's the that's the budget action figure right there. What's his power? He sees over a wall. It makes sense when they're like good guys, uh, yeah. because it's like, yeah, of course He Man would give 
the guy with the telescopic neck a job. But why does Skeletor have like Moss Man? Like Moss Man. <laughs> what's Moss Man? What was his power? He's made of moss. <laughs> Why is he in your evil gang of bad guys? Yeah, must man, you fool. <laughs> Why don't you grow on a skunk. tree? Why is the living skunk here? The living... Sorry? The living skunk? St- was his name Stinkor or Skunkor? Yeah, it's his power was he yeah. smelled. He the smelled really skunk. bad. Like- Sorry, I promise not to do my Skeletor impression again. <laughs> Ooh-wee. Anyway. Back in the negative zone, Hank Pym explains the dimension and the prison to Thor. The prison holds various supervillains while being staffed by an incredibly large number of Ultron robots. Suddenly, Hank receives an emergency call, and Hank, Thor and Janet head back to Avengers Mansion. Facing Kang, Iron Man tries to use Jarvis to hack Kang's technology, but the technology is unrecognised. Cap takes on Kang hand-to-hand, telling the Conqueror to leave the Avengers alone. But Kang isn't here for the Avengers. Kang is here for Cap and intends to eliminate him from the timeline. Iron Man demands to know why Kang wants to take out someone from the past. And Kang answers, to save the world. Little does Kang know that Hulk has crept up behind him and slams Kang through a wall. Imagine the Hulk trying to creep up behind someone. It's I can't. I, 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 <laughs> Hulk sneak. Uh, <laughs> Hawkeye arrives and holds Kang at Arrow Point as the Conqueror with support from Black Panther. At the request of Stark, uh, Kang. Sorry, I probably read that sentence a bit wrong. Hawkeye arrives and holds Kang at Arrow Point as the Conqueror. At the <laughs> Conqueror, sorry. At the Conqueror. Holds Kang at Arrow Point at the Conqueror. <laughs> <laughs> I've written this down wrong. Hawkeye and the Black Panther arrive and they hold Kang at Arrow Point. There, there we go. go. <laughs> Hawkeye arrive and they win. <laughs> at the request of Stark, Kang explains that his plan to save the world. In his time, Kang rules all, but a disruption in the space-time continuum destroyed his reality. He traced the cause of the disruption to an anomaly in the time stream, something that should not have happened in the 21st century. Captain America. At that moment, Kang releases the energy orbs that electrocute the Avengers. But before Kang can execute Cap, Molnir flies in and blasts Kang back. Thor, the Wasp and Hank Pym have returned. Kang is outnumbered, but doesn't give up. Instead of fighting, Kang uses his powers to transport the Avengers to the ravaged ruins of New York City in Kang's reality. So this is 14 minutes by now. 14 minutes, and we've seen so much happen already. You're impressed with things happening quickly, aren't you? I like pacing. I think pacing's brilliant. Like, a minute ago, it was like, this is episode 17, and a lot's happening. And now it's like, this is minute 14, and things are happening. Everything's (laughs) happening, mate. So, in the the Marvel comics, I assume Kang can take on the Avengers by himself. He's He's a clever lad. It's the very first thing he does. Yeah. Uh, in the 60s uh, and bear in mind it's the 60s but it, from that point on it, yes because he's he's essentially a super advanced Iron Man yeah um, so all of his tech is so advanced it makes him godlike in the 21st century mm. um, so even in the 60s he immediately incapacitates the Avengers with an anti-gravity device um, Thor is unaffected 
because he's like gravity i'm a god and he hurls mjolnir at kang and and kang managed to make mjolnir vanish into subspace that's <laughs> thor is like no what <laughs> that's my whole thing um which is a kind of limbo which uh, is an uh, anyway um giant man uh does some sneaking and grabs kang from behind but kang's like costume which just looks like material with some i don't know metal braces and a belt and stuff Mm. It's actually woven in with high tech circuitry throughout. The whole thing is like an armor, and that unleashes this powerful energy against anyone that tries to touch Kang. Um, the wasp shrinks down very, very, very small to try and sneak in through like the the joints in the armor and try and get in there. But his whole armor is rigged with like microscopic booby traps that incapacitate her. Um, and then his time ship. Uh, traps each Avenger in a different prison cell with this energy beam that paralyzes them. It reverts um, Giant Man to regular size. It um, incapacitates Iron Man's like armor. It uses all its power, and it tra- even transforms Thor back into his mortal form of Donald Blake, uh, which was wow. the this this the the um, the stasis quo of Thor in the sixties. Oh wow. So that's like just immediately all the Avengers taken out. So yeah, he's affected. God, I can't imagine how it's going to be with the Kang Dynasty film. Anyway, as the Avengers face up against the desolate city, Kang explains how in the future, Earth is involved in a war between the Scree and the Kroll, where the sun was severely damaged. The, it's the, I'm going to have to step in there. It's the Kree and the Skrull. And the Skrull. You said the Scree and the Krull. <laughs> Did I? Yeah. I, yeah. I, and I'm sober tonight. I don't know what's <laughs> happening there. I'm, oh, I'm so bad at this. To avoid this from happening, <laughs> Kang needs to eliminate Captain America, but also needs to advance Earth's technology in the 21st century to protect itself in the coming world. However, to do that, Kang will conquer the world. Realising what's at stake, Cap tells the Avengers that he will stand down, but despite the odds... Iron Man orders the Avengers to attack Kang. The Conqueror repels all attacks with ease and is about to leave the Avengers stranded in this future. But before he can attack his teleport, Kang is... Sorry, activate... Why did I say attack? Before he can activate his teleport, Kang is overwhelmed by a swarm of cockroaches mustered by Hank Pym. His one weakness, cockroaches. (laughs) (laughs) But I I hate them. I thought that was a neat touch. Yeah. It's a post-apocalyptic future. What animals could there possibly still be? There we go. For Ant-Man to control, and it is cockroaches, because, as they say, they're the one thing that will survive a nuclear Armageddon. I really thought that was very smart of them. It, it was good, but I was there going, oh, Ant-Man can control cockroaches as well. You can control all insects, yeah. Oh, I didn't know. I thought it was just ants. Anyway. No. No. Kang... Shows the Avengers obviously a very terrifying future. Is this something from the comic books? Yeah, this is taken directly from um, the Kang Dynasty story. Um, he does that, but it's 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 a little different. So he shows them a variety of different terrifying futures. Um, he shows them uh, this one was really good, but it require it, it, it's not massively important. But it's a nod to an old. 
uh, Thor slash giant man villain called the Radioactive Man, who is oh, a, yeah. like a Chinese man. kind of almost super soldier slash Hulk type guy. Mm. Um, so he shows them a future where nuclear experimentation in China has led to a disastrous event, and it's converted millions of people into these radioactive wraith-like monsters. Um, and they are all joint... I, I, it, 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 the impression you'll get is that it's the whole country of China, and they're Ooh. all joined together with one collective hive mind. Ooh. And if they touch you, they kill you and convert you. And these creatures overwhelm the world and the Avengers and turn all of humanity into these green, radioactive, like ghost entities. He um, shows them a future where the Midgard serpent kills Thor, uh, Ragnarok. Um, happens the Avengers can't stop it and uh, Ragnarok consumes the the mortal world Midgard um, and everything is killed off by the warring Asgardian gods Um, he shows them a future where Ultron possesses the vision kills the Avengers and replaces them with cybernetic kind of slave robot creatures to take over the world Mm. Um, a world where America is overrun by gamma-powered Hulk monsters, um, a future where Magneto and his brotherhood enslave the human race. Um, and in a nod to a f- well-remembered but mildly obscure 70s comic Marvel comic called War of the Worlds, um, he shows them a future where powerful Martian entities conquer the world using tripods that wipe out humanity. <laughs> um, if we ever get a chance to look at that, that'd be interesting. Oh, no, I'd um, love that. It's War of the Worlds, but in a Marvel f- comics future. It's mm. bizarre. Um, yeah, so all, all these horrifying, terrifying futures, and says um, these are not wishy-washy maybes. These are not worst-case scenarios. I am a time traveller. One of these futures will be the end of your world. Ooh. Hulk smashes Kang out of his high-tech floating chair, and the Avengers continue fighting. Cap tells Iron Man that the chair is the only way home, and he needs to go alone without them. As Iron Man figures out how to use Kang's chair, the Avengers continue battling Kang. Each attack seems to do nothing against the Conqueror, and the Avengers are thrown out of the battle one at a time. Cap and Thor, the last ones left, protect Iron Man as he finally activates Kang's chair, which he realises is based on Stark Industries technology. Tony activates the time circuits and teleports everyone back to the Avengers mansion in the 21st century. Finally, the Avengers subdued Kang, but at the last minute, Kang teleports back to the Damocles. On board his ship, Kang tells his subordinates that it's time he showed the Earth how he earned the title of Conqueror, as a large fleet of ships join the Democles outside Earth's orbit. Hulk doing a distraction in a fight was a nice touch. I I struggle to remember that exact moment, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I thought that was good, because you'd never expect it to be a distraction. You'd always expect it to be the, the brunt force. Uh, Iron Man doing a great callback to Cap, saying how those who forget the past are doomed to, to repeat it. Nice little nice little callback there. Mm. That was nice. Uh, so is this what Kang's origins are like in the comics? Is he a king from the future? Because he was a pharaoh in the past. 
let's strap in. Let's, hey, here we because go. Because this is this is Kang's origins now. Okay, mm. are we ready for this, mate? I am are ready. you ready for this? I'm ready. So Pharaoh Ramatut makes these two appearances with the with the Fantastic Four. Mm. He is um, a 31st century scholar obsessed with war torn history of the planet Earth, obsessed with like battles and warlords, and lamenting that he lives in such a dull, peaceful period of time. And that he wants to go back. He wants to be involved in wars and fights and battles and be a warlord. So he builds a time ship shaped like a sphinx, travels back to ancient Egypt, uh, where he briefly was blind, <laughs> and then gets cured, and they memorize... I don't know why that is in there. And then uses his advanced weapons to take over that society and become this powerful pharaoh. Ah. Um... And then, in his second appearance, he meets Doctor Doom. He's travelling around after being beat by the driven out of uh, ancient Egypt by the Fantastic Four, and Doctor Doom, because of something else that happened, is kind of floating through space. Um, and so he rescues Doctor Doom, and here Ramatut reveals that his time machine is based on technology invented by Doctor Doom, ah. who who Pharaoh Ramatut believes to be. His great ancestor. Ooh. In this point, Kang believes he is a direct descendant of Doctor Doom. Doom starts to wonder, however, if they are actually the same person. And he speculates that at some point in his future, he might travel to the 31st century, lose his memory, and become Ramatut. And then Ramatut speculates that maybe at some point he'll travel into the past to the 21st century and become this, the, the gypsy man that would then become Doctor Doom. And from that point on, Ramatut, aside from this weird Scarlet Centurion thing we don't have time to go into, uh, Ramatut adopts a costume of advanced kind of armour, purple and green, just like mm. Doctor Doom. Um, that he would kind of wear into battle. So Ramatut then tries to return to the 31st century, but he overshoots by a thousand years, and he lands in the 41st century, discovering a war-torn Earth. Society since the paradise, the, the high-tech paradise he was born in and grew up in, society is gone to an apocalyptic ending and has collapsed and humanity is broken down into warring tribes he sets himself up as this warlord using his technology which is past technology to these people but they become almost like cavemen <sighs> so it's advanced for their society he yeah. sets himself up as kang the conqueror he battles these simple inhabitants he conquers them he builds a tribe that gets bigger and bigger and bigger until it's a kingdom until it's an empire until eventually he's conquered the whole world and he starts to um set about reclaiming the the kind of lost technology of the 41st century that these people are unable to kind of master or have forgotten how to use and he uses it to rebuild society albeit one ruled by him, Kang, mm. the Conqueror. And he even then uses this to expand his empire. It is said for, I think, over a 100 light years in every direction around the Earth, Kang's spacefaring empire conquers and claims the Shi'ire Empire, the Badoon, 
all these different space uh, space regions and these different worlds fall under his um, under his realm. But his clash with the Fantastic Four and his encounter with Doctor Doom consume his mind. He 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 talks and tells himself that he wants to be a great warrior, and he feels he can't do that here in the future because everything's been so easy. He wants to return to the past and conquer this sort of almost forgotten period of time known as the Age of Heroes, where his opponents will be very great. And as time goes on in the Marvel comics, more revelations are made about the history of Kang. As we mentioned at the top, the Avengers once fight this being called Immortus, and they eventually it's revealed that Immortus is actually a future version of Kang, when he has mm. abandoned his warlike being and ends up devoting his powers to preserving the timeline um there's another entity called the scarlet centurion um which was like a it was a it was a failed attempt at kang to do something else um and kang's lineage is called into question as well reed richards discovers further evidence that basically says Kang is a descendant of someone that's called, I think it's the, is it the Great Restorer or the Great Preserver? This warlord that arrived in the future from the past, mm. it is believed, and that person rebuilt society on Earth and created the paradise, the high-tech society that Kang was born into. And Kang is a direct descendant of that person, this warlord. And this warlord is either a a, a descendant of Doctor Doom. It it could be Doctor Doom, or it could be a descendant of Reed Richards. So for a long period of time in Marvel Comics, this question mark hung over the three people's heads. Is Kang related to Doctor Doom or Reed Richards? Um, And then uh, Reed goes on to learn... That his absent father um, is up was actually a time traveling warlord. Um, so that's it. Sorry. So yes, it, it could have been Doctor Doom, or it could be he's he's this he's the he's the 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 child of this time traveling warlord that is actually Reed Richards' mysterious absent father, um, who may have converted human society into kind of this this paradise. And that carried on that that kind of question mark carried on for decades until finally in two thousand and twenty one. Um, just the other year, Nathaniel Richards, who is Reed's father, uh, dies eventually, finally dies in the comic books. And his death brings together uh, versions of Kang, Immortus, and the Scarlet Centurion to discuss the great inheritance that has been left behind to them. And that confirms then that Kang is a direct descendant of Reed Richards. And that his real name is actually Nathaniel Richards II. So Kang is Mr. Fantastic's direct descendant. <laughs> and we are just, folks, we are just at the tip of the Kang iceberg on the other side of this break with a conclusion to the Kang trilogy and more Kang trivia. And you can shake a sticker. 